You know, we live in an entitlement culture today, and it seems like everybody believes they're entitled to something, especially something they didn't earn and mostly they don't deserve. This entitlement is, a, is a, a, somewhat of a new phenomenon for some reason, and I don't know why we have this culture that sort of permeates through all of our society of this entitlement that... Uh, that we should receive so many things. And as a result of what I believe this entitlement has done to us is that it has caused us to be less and less grateful for what we have. Case in point, uh, two years ago when we did the, um, the um, Harvest Festival, we had several hundred hot dogs that we were giving away. We, had, we knew that we would have about a thousand plus people, probably 1,200 or something, and so we thought maybe, you know, about 500 plus of those would be uh, children under 12. And so we were going to give away free hot dogs. And we did so. And about the first hour, I think we ran out of hot dogs. It was incredible. And people were upset because they didn't get their free hot dog. We failed to plan. And so this last year, we planned a little bit better. We decided we would charge them a dollar for a hot dog. Pretty reasonable, right? A buck for a hot dog. And uh, they didn't go quite as fast as they did the year before. That surprise you? Free didn't go, you know, like it did last year. The the buck kind of changed the dynamics. And for the second year in a row, that was my responsibility is to sell hot dogs. I gave them away the year before, and this year now I'm selling them for a buck. And so that was my place of service. And uh, we we probably sold maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred and fifty, and we had I don't know four or five hundred hot dogs we had prepared, something like that. And, and we did not, as a staff, want that many hot dogs left over after Harvest Festival. You just don't warm up hot dogs. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know how well they work in the microwave, but I, I don't do that. Do you? I, maybe you do, but we wanted to, and then we finally decided we're going to give them away. Right, April? We, but we decided we'd give them away to everybody that was 12 and under. You had to be 12 and under. Well, several people pushed the limit. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but while we were giving them away, I decided that I would say to them, the children, because of my experience last year, this year you must say thank you before you receive a hot dog. Was that a bad thing? I didn't want to hear thank you, but I wanted to teach them to say thank you because the year before, not a single person, well, maybe a few acknowledge the free gift that we gave them and said, thank only a few. So I thought, okay, we're going to use this as an object lesson today, and we're going to teach these children to say thank you. And when they said thank you, I said, you're welcome, and you received a hot dog. And some kids would come up, and they'd say, I want a hot dog. And I said, what do you say? They didn't really want to say it. Can I have a dog, hot dog, please? Yes, thank you. You're welcome. So we gave them a hot dog. And uh, one particular lady came up, and uh, she was not obviously under 12, and, and uh, she was uh, demanding that I give her about seven or eight hot dogs. And I said, well, lady, I, I hate to tell you, but you're, you're not 12 and under. Well, I need this for my family. And I said, well, tell your children to come to the counter, and I'll give you the hot dogs. Well, she walked away talking a foreign language, 
that was not uh, totally understandable by me because I speak Portuguese, not Spanish, and so off she went. And the conclusion of it, we gave all the hot dogs away, and somebody came up to me at the end and, and said, Pastor, that lady over there and pointed to her said, uh, she said she's never coming back to our church ever again. And as I looked over there, she walked across the counter, and she gave me a sign that was not a very fun sign to receive in the church and walked out. What attitude would you say that is? Definitely not an attitude of gratitude. And I, and I thought about that long and hard, and I thought that is symbolic, I think, of our culture. And, and Thanksgiving sometimes, when we gather together as a family, is anything but giving thanks. Isn't it? With all the hustle and the bustle of getting, you know, the turkey just right and the pudding just right and all the trimmings just right and getting thing, everything on the table. Come on, moms, you know what I'm talking about. And a few dads, it is exhausting putting on the Thanksgiving dinner. I talked to somebody who said they had four of them, Thanksgiving dinners. How many did you have? Anybody got more than four? Anybody have more than four? Four is a pretty good limit. And so I, I began to think as God began to lead us to this passage in Luke 17 about being thankful. I wonder, mom and dads, for those of us who have children in the room today, children, how many times have you acknowledged what your parents have done for you and you have said to them, thank you? Come on, parents. Wake your kids up for a minute. Okay? Children, this is for you. How many times have you taken the time to say, thank you, mom and dad, for the clothes on my body, the food in my belly, the roof over my head, the bed that I sleep in, the transportation to and from school, and all the many, many things that you do for me? Yes, parents, it is a responsibility. And yes, we do that responsibility as well as we can. But too often, if we are... are, are, are are not careful. We do not then, well, we don't do it for gratitude. I get it. We don't do it for acknowledgement. I get it. We don't do it because we want our children to feel indebted to us, although we're keeping score so that when they decide what nursing home we're going in, we can show them how much it costs to raise them and they can put us in a better nursing home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But children, it's, it's good every now and then for you to acknowledge what's been done for you and to say thank you. And I wonder during the Thanksgiving holiday season how many of us feel as if God owes us if we are entitled to things from him and we've not taken the time to look beyond our circumstance, to look beyond our situation, and to find something of which to be grateful for because were it not for God, we would have nothing. I saw the movie this week called Moana. This weekend, it's, anybody see that? I don't like to mention movies sometimes. There's a demagogue in there called Maui, and he is a, a, an interesting character in that movie, and he does things for this certain civilization, and he wants to be thanked, and he says to them, you're welcome. And he is an ego-driven demagogue that wants to be thanked for what he has done. 
And I thought about that when I saw that in preparation for this, because that's always in the back of my mind, my message. Our God is not doing what he is doing in order to be thanked by us. He, he's not doing it simply out of recognition. He's not doing it simply so that we'll be indebted to him. He's doing it out of the generosity and the kindness of his heart because he loves us and he cares about us and he wants to meet our needs. God is a gracious, loving, merciful God and he wants to bestow upon us blessing after blessing upon blessing upon blessing and it's our responsibility as we receive that to recognize who he is for what he has done for us and to simply say, because there's nothing else we can say, out of a heart filled with gratitude, God, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what I have. We saw Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, the Apostle Paul in, in Acts 27, when he's on a sea and he knows the, the ship is about to break up and he knows that, that, that everything will be lost, but he says to them, we're going to live. And as they're preparing for the ship to be broken up and, and then be washed ashore, he stops to eat something. And before he eats that meal, he gives thanksgiving to God for what God has provided on that ship in the midst of the storm. And we talked about the importance of in spite of where we may think we are today. We may be on a ship in the midst of the storm about to hit the rocks and completely shatter, but we can still find something for which we can be grateful for and give thanksgiving to God in the midst of the storm. It's not about our circumstance. It's not about our situation. It's about what God has done for us. And we can always, if we look closely and carefully, can find something for which we can be grateful for. So I've been titled this message today, Thanksgiving. My son asked me yesterday, what you preaching on, Dad? I said, Thanksgiving. He said, interesting title. Where'd you get it? He wasn't impressed. But let's hope we'll be impressed with the text. And I have very quickly 15 minutes to go through this, uh, this text. So let's do it. Buckle up. Let's go. Number one, to be thankful, Thanksgiving reveals abandonment. Thanksgiving reveals abandonment. If I am to be thankful, if I am to be grateful, I have to come empty-handed to the throne of grace and mercy and recognize that what I am being grateful for wasn't what I put on the table. You hear me? What I'm being grateful for wasn't what I brought to the table. Notice the text. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus was passing through this area, and it would be for the last time that they would see him. He was on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross, and he was passing through. I'm not sure Jesus intended to stop. I think he knew he was going to probably be, be, be stopped by these 10 lepers, but he was going to pass through this village had they not cried out for his assistance. Verse 12, and as he entered the village, he entered into the village. It's a small little community, and this helps me realize that God, through Jesus, is calling out to even the smallest the most insignificant of cities and places where people think that, that God is, is, is not interested in. There's, there's no one beyond the scope, the vision, and the purpose, and the plan of God for salvation. We could camp out there for 15 minutes, but we don't have time. But he entered the, this small village, and it's a village because it doesn't have really markings. You don't know when you're going in and out of it. There's no wall or anything. So he's going through this small village, and he was, noticed met by 10 lepers. That word met means that he was met by them for a 
a purpose. There was a purpose that was going on, and the purpose not, was not necessarily totally Jesus' purpose. Jesus had a purpose. He was on a mission, and that mission was to redeem a lost humanity. And in that purpose, he encounters these 10 lepers, and these 10 lepers, as they recognize that Jesus is coming through their village, all of a sudden they have a purpose, and their purpose in meeting Jesus was this. They are 10 lepers. They are, there are 10 men in a small community just outside of the city proper who are not allowed into the city. And this small community of lepers are in a bad state of affairs. They are beyond their own help. They cannot help themselves. Their condition is beyond anything that they can do. And no one can do anything about their condition. They are stuck in their condition. And their condition is hopeless. There is nothing in and of themselves they can do to change their condition. Only Jesus can change their condition. And they are looking to him to change their condition. And they stood at a distance because it was unlawful for them to come in contact with anyone who did not have leprosy. It's great to know that you're among a group of people today who have leprosy. It's called sin. And you're sitting in close proximity to sinners. And it's okay for us to congregate as sinners because we're all sinners saved by grace. But these lepers could not commune with anyone else other than those who had leprosy. And notice verse 13, they lifted up their voices. They lifted up their voices. It is a loud cry for help. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This is not some, you know, conservative Biblical, inerrant, traditional Baptist worship service where they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Because you see, I can't raise my voice. I can't raise my hand. I've got to be cool. You know, I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to get too loud in the presence of Jesus. Because others might think I'm a fanatic. But when you understand that your condition is of such despicable, doomed fate, and were it not for Jesus intervening on your behalf, when you finally recognize who you are without Jesus, I'm convinced you get loud. You get loud. You ever been to a ball game? People get loud. They get involved. They get emotional. Why is it that we come to church and we get, you know, the way we are sometimes? I wonder. Because it's just not a cool thing to get very emotionally driven into the, you know, it's, it's just, so I'm going to be reserved. But these guys were anything but reserved. And their loud voices, they called him Jesus. Apparently, they knew who he was. They had heard of him before. Maybe he had pastored this town, but we don't know why, and they call him Jesus. Jesus means just, uh, Joshua. It means Savior. And they knew he was their Savior. They call him Master. He is the one who is over their condition. He is the one over their lives. He is the one who has the authority to do something about where they are. And they say, have mercy on us. Mercy is simply, don't treat us as we deserve to be treated, treated but treat us differently. Don't, don't treat us as we deserve to be treated, but treat us differently. Isn't it great when people treat you that way? Not the way you deserve to be treated, but they treat you better than what you deserve to be treated. 
What are they doing? They're coming to Jesus completely abandoned of anything they can bring to the table. Our family was texting a couple of days before Thanksgiving, and people were telling what they were going to bring to the table, to the Thanksgiving meal, and everyone brought something. How about you? Was your family like that? Everybody brought something to the table. Maybe you didn't bring anything, and you were the ones they talked about after the meal. But everybody brought something to the table. When we come to the table of the mercy and the grace of Jesus, we come completely abandoned. We cannot work for anything that we have. We are not responsible for the blessings that God has given us, and we cannot and we should not ever take credit for what God has given us. And when we recognize that we come empty-handed without anything to offer and that all we have has been given to by him to us, we come abandoned, empty-handed, and it, it changes our gratitude. It changes the way we give thanks. It changes our hearts, and it changes how we live because we, we know that in and of ourselves, without Jesus, we have nothing. We would never be anything. We would, could never become anything because all that we have, we have because we owe it to him. And when we finally come to that realization, honestly, with integrity, we understand it. It changes our relationship with him, and it changes this whole Thanksgiving thing. I think there are many today who have a hard time giving Thanksgiving is because somehow they want to own something they bring to the table of praise and worship. But we come empty-handed with nothing to bring. Number two, we need to recognize the activity of God. True thanksgiving not only reveals abandonment, recognizes the activity of God. Divine activity, supernatural activity is at work. And we recognize that as we come empty-handed, it is God who is working in us to do through us what we cannot do without him. Notice in verse 14, when he saw them, Jesus was going through the village and they're crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, kind of helps us realize that Jesus sort of he delayed in his response to them. We're not sure why he delayed, but he, he wasn't quick to turn and to run over there to their assistance. He, he kind of hesitated. He delayed just a little bit. We don't really know why he did, but he did. Maybe it's to, to, to encourage them to be persistent in what they were wanting. And I think sometimes in God's delay, in Christ's response to our plea for help, he delays because there's always a purpose why he delays. But when he finally saw them, he knew they were there and he, he sees them and helps me realize and you realize and us realize that he sees us in our need. He's not blinded to our need. He's not unaware or inattentive of what we need, but he saw them and then he speaks to them. He speaks into their lives and he begins to tell them, this is what you need to be cured. And I'm, I'm convinced that what he said wasn't really what they expected. I don't think it was what they expected. And How many times have we asked for help and he's given us a response and it wasn't really what we expected. And he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. In other words, rise up from your condition and begin by faith moving toward your healing. And as you do, you will be cured. And when you receive your healing, when you arrive, you can present yourselves to the priest as is custom to the commands of God in the Old Testament. And they will pronounce you cured and you can go back to your lives. It was a test of faith. And notice what they did. It's unprecedented what they do. These 10 lepers, all 10 of them, in unison, as one, all 10, they went, 
their way. They got up from where they were and they proceeded to obey the command of Jesus. Jesus had told them what would bring about their healing and they get up from their condition and they proceed by faith, taking step by step, faith step by faith step toward their healing. And as they went, they were cleansed. There was a, a sort of a delayed process. They, they got up and they began step by step moving toward what Jesus had commanded them to do. And as they're moving toward where they knew the priest would be to declare them clean, they step by step, little by little, began to be healed. They weren't healed all at once, but they were suddenly healed. And they went and they were cleansed. And then the Bible says, and then one of the ten, only one of the ten... Only one, he saw that he was healed. He saw. Can you imagine being this leper, ostracized from your community and your family and your friends? You can't make a living. You're, you're subject to begging for the rest of your life, and you're in this communal group of people who are just despicable as you and outcasts believed to be sinners, and that's why you're in this condition, and you get up and you rise and you start moving, and leprosy affects your skin. I've been in leper colonies. I don't know if you have, but I have, and it's horrible. They hide their face, and as they're moving together in unison, the ten are moving toward their healing, taking steps, and one begins to notice, I'm being cleansed. I'm being transformed by the supernatural power of God through the commands of Jesus. And he saw that he was being healed. He recognized the activity of God. Jesus spoke, and he rose in faith, moving toward his healing, and he began to see God transforming his condition. I think one of the main reasons why we have a hard time being grateful, being thankful, is because we don't recognize the activity of God around us. But the reality is that God is always at work. He never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never takes a vacation, he's always at work. And if you were for just a moment to look in the rearview mirror of your life and see how much God has done in your life and to recognize the activity of God, that it were not for God in his miraculous, supernatural, transforming work, you would not be who you are, where you are, and you would not possess what you have. And when you recognize the activity of God, that changes everything about our relationship with him and how we give thanks. Number three, Thanksgiving not only reveals abandonment and recognized activity, but it returns appreciation. It returns appreciation. Notice verse 15. Notice that he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Notice his plan. He's going and he's recognizing, I'm being changed, I'm being transformed. I'm clean, I'm cured, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer a leper, and he does a U-turn. He doesn't about face. He doesn't completely fulfill the commandment of Christ he's intending to in, in a later time, but right now, he just wants to go back to where he had encountered Jesus and to say thank you for what he has done. And he doesn't about face. That's his plan. I want to go back to Jesus. I know that I may not see him ever again because Jesus is only passing this way one last time. He's on his way to the cross. Maybe he recognized the importance of, of this moment with Jesus and he turns around without hesitation. He returns back to where Christ was. And notice as he's returning, he is praising God. Notice his praise. He is praising God. He is giving God acknowledgement and recognition and glory for what he has done. How? With a loud 
loud voice. It is a proclamation that is very public. He's not doing it the Baptist way. He's doing it the Pentecostal way. And Pentecostals have their issues too. He doesn't care who hears. He didn't give a flip. He's, being, he's been cured. And Jesus is responsible. And he's giving the acknowledgement and the glory and the recognition to God on his way back. I don't know how far he got until he recognized maybe halfway or a fourth away. I don't know. But he turned around and he's, he's dancing and he's singing and he's giving glory to God. And notice not only the praise and the public declaration, but notice his posture. He comes and when he finds Jesus, he falls flat on his face with his face in the dirt. And he puts his face at the feet of Jesus. And he is totally humbled at what Jesus has done. There's a sense of humility when when we understand what Christ has done and the gratitude we have. His posture was one of humility, and he noticed with his face in the dirt, it says that he kept giving him thanks. I wonder if he ate any of that dust and that dirt in which his face was planted while he was at the feet of Jesus in that prostrate prostrate position, giving glory to God. Can you wonder? A pronouncement. And notice the interesting declaration here that Luke finally reveals, which I'm sure astonished here his readers. Now, oh, one last thing. He was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. He was, he was not one of us. Who was around Jesus? The critics. The crowd were still there. And he's saying through this one man, this man who is a foreigner, he is a Samaritan, he who did not have the promises that we have, it was he who gave thanks to the Lord. And I think it's important for us to understand that once we recognize what he has done to give him appreciation for what he has done, number four, we need to resist apathy. And I think the fact is that the longer we're saved, the more apathetic we become. Remember when you once were first saved? Remember when you were first saved? Some of you were saved as adults. How many were saved as adults? Can I show? Can I get a hand? Saved as adult. Remember how thankful you were? How new everything was? And you sat on the front row. Remember? And you couldn't take enough notes. You couldn't have hear enough preaching. Couldn't hear enough singing. Your hands were always up and your excitement and people said, ah, you'll calm down. Pretty soon you'll be like just the rest of us. And eventually we call it backsliding. They get further and further back into the pew till those in the back, back of there. Yeah, I see you back there. We call you backsliders. Because from there it's a quick way to just backslide out the back door. But we lose our enthusiasm. We, we become apathetic and indifferent about what God has done for us. And if we're not careful, we become stale and we'll take advantage. Notice then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleans, cleansed. We're not ten. I mean, there were ten of you. 
Ten were going toward their cleansing. By faith, they stood up and began to proceed, and all ten were cleansed. Only one of the nine came back. The other nine were cleansed, but they failed to give Jesus recognition, acknowledgement, and praise and glory for what he had done unto them. And I wonder how many of us sit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in the pew or the seat, and we fail to recognize what he has done. We have become apathetic and indifferent about our faith. And it's no wonder then that many churches today are dead spiritually because they are filled with apathetic, indifferent people about where they would be without Christ, and they fail to recognize that it is he and he alone who is responsible for that. And when we gather together in a place of worship, man, I'm excited to give him praise. I can't wait to get there because I know if without him, man, I'd be doomed. And Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed. He's asking the guy, we're not ten of you cleansed. Where are the other nine? Where are they? No answer. He doesn't give an answer, does he? He doesn't. He doesn't know. They didn't do an about face. They didn't do a U-turn. They didn't come back with him. He did it by himself. Imagine the courage that that took. He's with the other ten, and they're walking together, and he recognizes, and I don't know what you boys are going to do, but I'm going to go back to Jesus and give him praise and give him thanks for what he's done. And he steps away from the crowd while they keep going. And I think a life of thanksgiving and gratitude sometimes is a very lonely life. In verse 18, was no one found to return and give, give praise to God except this foreigner. He then turns the tide from speaking to the man who's there at his feet during this whole time in a very public setting. And he turns to the crowd who are filled with critics, who are filled with seekers, and who are filled with committed disciples. And he says... This guy right here didn't have the advantages that we have, and yet he acknowledges who I am, and he's giving praise for what I have done. And yet those who I have come to minister to are so apathetic and so indifferent that they don't even recognize who I am, and they fail to submit to my authority. I hope you haven't become apathetic in your salvation. Apathy is, is a dangerous place to be. It causes us to be entitled to certain things that we don't deserve. It makes us place demands on God and on Jesus. It creates a sense in which we as his people become stingy and hoarders and self-centered and egocentric and workaholics rather than filled with mercy and grace. And lastly, it reflects authority. Notice that Thanksgiving always reflects authority. And he said to the man who was there, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I don't think sweeter words were ever said to any one person after recognition and Thanksgiving. Rise. And go your way. Rise up. Show yourself. It's almost like the great commission here. Go. Go. Rise up and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Live out the reality of your condition in a world that needs to see the transforming power of Jesus and see the difference that Christ can make in one's life. There's an interesting story I think I've told it a couple of years ago. Some of you are not here. 
It's always safe to say it again about a father and his son. They, Thanksgiving was getting close and they didn't have any pumpkins to, you know, make the things on the front porch and, and to make the pies and all that. And so the father who went to work the same way every day passed by a farm that uh, farm was growing some pumpkins and there was some pretty good sized pumpkins there and he decided I think I'll help myself to one of those one day and I'll jump over the fence and, and take a few he'll never not miss those he's got plenty and he concocted an idea in which he was going to take his son with him so after he got home from work he took his son and they went down to the fence where the farmer was and he parked close by and he and his son got out and he looked to the north and didn't see anybody coming down the highway he looked to the south and see anybody coming he looked to the east and see anybody coming he looked to the west where the farm was and didn't see the farmer so he said son I'm going to jump over the fence get us a couple of pumpkins and you're going to stand here and I'm going to give them to you and put them in the trunk and I want you to be my lookout and make sure nobody's coming okay he said okay so he jumps over the fence and proceeds to walk and he said dad he said what is it son he said there's one place you forgot to look dad okay son I'll, I'll bite tell me where did I forget to look he said, son, you forgot to look up. Dad, you forgot to look up. We need to look up. Because looking up changes everything. It changes how we live. Because as we look up, we recognize that all that we have has been provided by him and only him and through him and for him. It's not about us. And it's not for us, but it's all for his glory. And as we look up, we then are commanded to live a life that reflects a life of thanksgiving. And a life that reflects a life of recognizing that all that I have and all that I am and all that I hope to be is because of him, then I live under his authority. I live in submission to him. I rise up from my condition and I go out and I display the glory of Jesus through a transformed life that is completely under His authority. This was a lesson not only about faith, but about obedience. And whatever He commands us to do, like the lepers, we rise up from where we are, we step, faith step by step, into obedience and in faith, believing, and as we do, he and he alone will bless us and when he does we'll give him the recognition the honor and the glory would you bow with me for a moment cross the auditorium as we close
Well, good morning, church. I have the privilege today of baptizing three wonderful young ladies, and uh, it, they're actually sisters, uh, the Ferris sisters, and so this morning we're going to celebrate uh, as a church family, and I believe we have family from Oklahoma, right? Miami, Oklahoma? That's God's country. <clears throat> I grew up in Pryor. You know where Pryor is. It's the little, little brother, I think, to Miami. But uh, if, uh, if you're a family, if you're friends, or if you know Abigail or Danica or Lillian, uh, would you stand this morning in celebration with them as we uh, celebrate this time of God's work in their life? This is Abigail Ferris, and uh, Abigail, uh, your sister, your older sister Madison, uh, prayed with you to accept Christ, didn't she? Yes. Yeah, and that was about four years ago? Yes. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you, Abigail, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Yes. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. This is Danica Ferris. I asked if there was any final questions before we came to be baptized, and she requested that I do not drown her. So I'm hoping to fulfill her request today. <laughs> Danica, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And this is the youngest of the three sisters. This is Lillian Ferris. And Lillian, you accepted Christ in, in VBS, correct? A while back. All right, have a seat. Lillian, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. 